Yo, yo, yo. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, Kane Sims, and I am uh, delighted to present our sponsor today, DeepGram. DeepGram is an industry-leading speech recognition technology company who uh, provides fantastic speech recognition. I mean, if you're working on voice assistants, voice bots, things like that, whether you're looking at transcribing calls in your call center or anything of that kind, uh, then DeepGram is the company that you need to be looking at. It's got incredibly low latency, which means that you can actually build uh, voice assistants that can respond like humans would do at the kind of time interval that are required to make a conversation feel natural and human-like. Uh, they've got very quick response times, as I mentioned there. They've got uh, very competitive pricing. Uh, and you can also tune and train the ASR models, uh, which very few companies do, but it definitely leads to greater accuracy and better results so that people, you know, your voice assistant has more chance of understanding people, essentially. Uh, and so do go to deepgram.com forward slash VUX world if you want to learn more about that, which I would strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, we've also got a webinar that we're doing with Deepgram. I'm just going to try and dig out the link now so I can put it in here as well. Uh, this webinar is called The Irony of Big Tech why your speech recognition is probably a lot of tosh. And it is specifically about how uh, big tech companies that you might first of all think of as having really good speech recognition capabilities and AI capabilities in general, in actual fact, don't always. And uh, sometimes the more nimble startups are the kind of companies that are really pushing the boat out when it comes to innovation. You see, they can innovate a lot quicker. They can get changes rolled out a lot faster, which means that you don't see the transient type of innovation you see consistent innovation over time which means there's better support for accents better support for different languages better support for certain types of uh, jargon you know always uh, iterating and improving on the uh, the models behind the scenes and so if you want to learn more about how you can uh, get some tremendous flexibility out of your AI architecture and you can constantly be at the bleeding edge using the best technology possible then this webinar is for you. We'll be looking at things like how to audit your current speech recognition. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we'll be looking at things like why general automatic, automatic speech recognition models are not that great and actually why tailored models are the, the best in 9.9 .9 out of 10 use cases uh, and a whole bunch other uh, as well besides that how to impact <clears throat> how to measure the impact of your speech recognition on the business and all that kind of stuff and so please do go to vux.world uh, in fact just go to vux.world and hit the events tab to be honest because the url is pretty long uh, and so yeah looking forward to seeing you there and if you're not already subscribed, go to vux.world forward slash subscribe where you can get all of these invites to all of these webinars and uh, podcasts that we do uh, every single week. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into today's conversation with Botium. We're speaking to Christoph Berner, who is the CEO of Botium, recently acquired by Ciara. Uh, we're going to be getting into that as well. And we've got the topic of conversation today is all about quality assurance for conversational AI, a topic that I think is incredibly important and I think underserved as well, as I'm sure we'll find out. But Christoph, welcome to the podcast. Well, hi to everyone out there. Thank you for this very nice introduction. Unfortunately, I can't compete with your yo, yo, yo. So what can I say now? I just say hi to everyone. Thanks for joining. I think we have a super interesting topic for you. Um, quality assurance is the key enabler for flawless bots out there. And yeah, really looking forward to share some thoughts and ideas in this session. Thanks. Sounds good. And uh, recent acquisition. Congratulations on that. Thank you for that one. Yeah. Well, uh, what can I say? Um, you or most of you might know Ciara out there. Ciara is leading industry standard um, for automated testing of call centers, IVR call flows, um, Botium is the same for automated testing of conversational AI. Um, so for us, it made really sense to join our forces, become part of the Ciara family. Um, actually, um, when we had the first uh, connection to, uh, to the leadership of Ciara, we realized those guys are sharing absolutely the same values than we do, um, having a, an, an, a very big passion for quality, for customer experience. Um, I mean, that tagline is delivering customer smiles. Um, that really fits also to us. So from from a client perspective, the same values, and also internally, uh, they have also this this no bullshitting philo philosophy. They they have values like employee first and so on. So this um, 
actually everything fits too good to be honest <laughs> <laughs> nice nice that's wicked that's really good i mean uh it's definitely nice to have that kind of culture where it's all about the customer you know we were speaking to andy kingston from hsbc at the beginning of the week and uh it was really kind of apparent that all he cares about is what's in the best interest of the customer. And if you do that, everything else kind of follows. Um, and so, yeah, it's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear that. And uh, it's funny. We also had Corpus Krayling on the podcast yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 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 um, Botium was mentioned, I would say, five or six times, maybe, at least. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's kind of like a, this kind of concept of quality assurance is something that seems to be surfacing more and more as we start to develop our understanding and maturity, I suppose, in this space more and more. Um, and so maybe for the for those that are kind of not aware of Botium, it might be worth first starting with, you know, what what is it and what does it do? Yeah, but, well, I would say the problem we are solving is quality assurance for conversational AI. Yeah? And, and um, what we are doing overall is we enable our clients all around the globe um, to build really flawless chatbots or conversational AI. So covering all chatbots, virtual assistants, virtual agents on phone lines and so on. So everything that is more or less powered um, by an NLP and NLU engine behind. Um, and at the end of the day, to really deliver these customer smiles um, to, to the end clients out there. Um, because happy customers means more and better business at the end of the day for all of us. Um, yeah, to do so, um, we automate this complex process of, of testing and training and also monitoring um, of conversational AI. Um, and uh, yeah, our enterprise product um, I always describe as a comprehensive test automation suite um, that covers all these test types that you need and, and uh, adds all these quality gates in your delivery pipelines that you have um, in your BDLC. And yeah, this, this includes functional testing as well as non-functional testing. Um, a lot of stuff there. It's a long list. We are doing regression. We are doing conversation flow testing. We are doing all the training data analytics to check bots, um, understanding permanently. Um, in terms of non-functional, we have their performance, security. GDPR is an enormous topic for our clients in Europe at the moment. Um, we're having full end-to-end testing, and this means on all channels, on all platforms, text-enabled, voice-enabled, um, and really fully end-to-end. So if a bot lives uh, in a mobile app on real physical devices, if it's a call center, calling real phone numbers. Um, so we can cover all these things, and we bring it together in one test automation suite. Yeah? Um, you get this one-stop solution for all these things, and, and wherever possible, um, we take even away all the complexity from you. That's what we do. Mm, nice. And where did it come from then? Where, were you working in, I'm assuming you were probably building chatbots and stuff before, found that there was nothing available in this kind of space and, and decided to build it. Is that is that generally about right? Yes, it goes into the right direction. Actually, I have to go back to a few years. Yeah. So first of all, in, in my studies at Technical University in Vienna, I was I'm very interested already in AI and machine learning. And, and this is many years ago um, when, when those were not the trending topics in IT like they are right now. Um, and I was initially a developer, as you mentioned, and I, had, um, I was running some consulting companies doing test automation. And then actually in 2016, and now some personal part comes in, um, I'm playing in a rock band um, and my guitarist Florian is the co-founder of Botium. Yeah? So in 2016, we were sitting after a band rehearsal, um, of course, with, with a beer. <laughs> and we, we were seeing that, so 2016, we saw this first jetpot boom. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And um, we had a joint client that was building one, and, and um, they had in those days already 100 intents to cover and roughly 100 utterances behind every intent. And we saw, well, that means 10,000 test cases just to test the happy path that you already have in your training data. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think, roughly 50 people in the team there working on this solution. 
um, doing every sprint. We had weekly sprints, uh, a few hundred commits, and we should run all those tests uh, in every, with every commit. So for us, it was clear that it's only doable with test automation. There is no other mm-hmm. way around. And this was more or less um, the beginning of Otium. Um, we, first of all, thought about, well, is there someone else out there facing the same problem? And, and um, to prove this business case, if you want to call it like that, uh, we have built the first MVP. Um, this one is still out there as an open source version called uh, Botium Core or Botium CLI. And we saw after I think two months or something, already 100,000 downloads, um, which wow. is um, an enormous number considering that it's a pure B2B high-tech product. Um, it has only a command line interface, so mainly for developers. And um, think back on 2016, um, were there already 200,000 enterprises working on a chatbot solution that big that they thought about automated testing? So um, we were super surprised. Um, we knew, okay, for us it's now to go all in. Um, so we quit our other contracts. We founded Botium. A few weeks later, we won the first startup contest. And, and then the rest is history already. So this, this is how it began. At the end of the day, I have to admit, after a band rehearsal with a beer. Nice. Well, I can't imagine a better better place, to be honest. After a band rehearsal with a beer, that sounds good. Um, that's really good, that. Yeah, so you mentioned the three kind of areas of testing, the, the testing, training, and monitoring. Um, I imagine that it sounds as though you started out from testing, and testing is a big issue, you know. Uh, if you want to do testing manually, which, you know, you can test manually from a design perspective. How does it sound when I say these kind of things? And does it feel like there's one part of the conversation stitched to the other part? And how does it, how is it experientially, how is it? But you can't test every variation of you know, the language that's used, hitting every intent and the the combinations of it as well. You know, I've I've been involved in projects before where I was testing, manually trying to test. This is, I don't know what year this was, but manually trying to test kind of like combinations of question and answers where every answer to the question needs to be stored and checked. And then ultimately when you end up at the end of however many questions there is, the answer is entirely dependent on every single question that was answered. And so you had to go through and get all kinds of variations of every single types of different questions just to get to the end result. And it is just the most boring thing to do in the world. And it's impossible to do as well because there's just too much of it. And so I'm surely everyone's facing this problem, are they not? Yes, they are. Um, unfortunately, we still see a lot um ignoring it then uh, actually you have to mention this is our biggest competition companies who just don't test uh, or, or do mm. a bit of manual um, let's call it exploratory testing um, and then throw something into production and and um, I have in my uh, uh, demo slides the so-called wall of shame um, <laughs> with uh, uh, 15 or something blue chip examples and I have to update them every week because every <laughs> week there are new ones and I'm, I'm always saying it's not about complaining about these companies it's just to show you are not never too big to fail there and, and yeah. I mean if, if the biggest payment service provider chatbot on the world when, when you tell it I got scammed the answers with great have a nice day and so on so or or or, or your chatbot is is suggesting to buy the product of the competition and so on yeah so, so this these are the funny things or, or some bots are failing and uh, really uh, crashing and revealing confident data and so on yeah? so um, we we see so much failing bots out there which which is still shocking um, but I think it's People believe, well, if I go to the big providers, if, if, if I um, build a bot with, with IBM Watson, yeah, with Google Dialogflow and so on, these are such such great technologies. They expect, well, it will just work seamlessly. Yeah? Um, so I totally agree. Those are great technologies and many others out there. Um, but without proper testing and training, um, you have to fail. And and, and you, you mentioned already some of the challenges. So I, I would add there, first of all, test sets are infinitely large because um, in general, bots have no barriers. You just think about a voice-enabled bot. Yeah, um, You cannot limit the user there with anything because they can say everything. Mm. Um, in, 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 in just a text-enabled, let's say, on, on a web widget or something, you can only offer a few quick replies and so on. Uh, you can have some limitations, but as soon as it is web uh, voice-enabled or if you have one input field, an open input field, 
people can ask everything. Yeah? Um, and that doesn't mean that, that a bot has to cover everything, but he should never crash and reveal data or, or, or stuff like that. Yeah? Or no one wants to see this default fallback intents all the time. Yeah? Or, mm. or um, I lately saw from DPT a big parcel delivery service um, that the bot replied with, I'm busy, come back later. Yeah? <laughs> As a user, you don't expect from a bot, I'm busy. <laughs> you don't want to hear this. Um, yeah, this, these are big challenges out there, to be honest. Mm, definitely. And the, the, it's compounded by, you mentioned it's limitless, and it is limitless. And the, the issue with manual testing, aside from testing the experiential element, which I do think is still important, um, is that y- y- it's just full of assumptions, isn't it? you're basing everything on how you think people, how you think people are going to interact with this thing. And anyone who's put anything into production knows that as soon as you go live with something, it, it is just assumptions really. I mean, yes, you're going to start ideally with data in the first instance to build your models from what people are actually asking for and what people really genuinely need. But so it's a less assumption based in that respect, but still when it's in the wild, as you say, people can say absolutely anything. And so manual testing is inherent with, with assumptions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's I mean everything you have in your training data is is for me your happy path. Huh? And the thing is, there um, I'm still surprised how miserable bots are already failing for this happy path. Um, I mean I'm a bit surprised. On the other side, I know why this is happening. Also, you have to imagine when we connect for the first time to a client's bot, um, that botium will fetch. Um, the training data, the AI model, and generate, first of all, um, all tests that are necessary to check if the bot is, is behaving like he is intended to be. And so if there uh, is, a, I don't know, a, a account balance intent from from a bank um, and an utterance like, what's my account balance, then exactly this test case will be generated. Yeah? Um, and you cannot imagine how much of those are already failing. And, and we are calling this in Botium, you will see, well, um, your training data is not clean. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you will see nicely in the confusion matrix, well, um, for this utterance, uh, intent A was expected, but the bot predicted intent B. And, and people are shocked, and I'm getting the questions, Jesus, are we so bad? Do, do, do we not know our job, how to do it? And the answer is no. You might be all super smart, but it's a lot of people working on the training data. Um, there, It's very likely that you have duplicates in the utterances or utterances that are semantically so close to each other. Uh, the whole thing of language, how it's generated semantics is a super complex one. Um, then we all know slight changes on the training data usually have or often have very big impacts on other sites and so on. Uh, um, and, and this is where these things are coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, I mean, um, what I'm also facing a lot with our clients is that um, the QA departments that we're testing in the last 20 years, um, websites and mobile apps and maybe standalone applications before, um, suddenly get the challenge like, well, here's a chatbot, test it. Yeah? And, and uh, it's not about uh, checking an expected result with an actual result anymore. Uh, we have now training data analytics, static and dynamic ones, in-depth insights there. You have to have knowledge about linguistics, how this stuff works. Yeah. We all know um, spoken language is constructed differently compared to text-based language and so on. So um, these things are challenging, and therefore you need the right toolings in place that point you to the problems that you have, and in best case, even fix them. Yeah. Um, and, and coming back to your initial statement, Yes, assumptions, variations, also here the right tooling can help you a lot because um, when I usually ask my clients where is the training data coming from, um, there are pretty good answers like we know our channels, we know what is usually coming through our support center, the questions, we know um, what marketing wants to have, what business wants to have, we collected all this data and these are our 200 intents. Um, And I say, well, nice. Um, And Let's go to Botium. There you have the option. We have an AI-assisted test and training data generator where you do something like tell us the domain you are in, I don't know, telecommunication, and give us a short description like um, we are building here a customer support chatbot that answers generic telecom questions. And you hit the button generate and you will get the top 100 intents for the telecom domain out there. Yeah? So you see, and this is production data, you see exactly those questions 
um, your competitors are asked in your domain. Yeah? And then it's getting funny because when we run those tests, then the happy path um, is passing, but those tests immediately start to fail. And, and this is what, what you mentioned just before. In production out there, um, your clients are behaving different. Interesting. So I, have I understood this right, that what you just explained there is that within the body and platform, you can give it an example of a use case and you will use existing production data from a similar industry, similar company type to surface some of those pieces of training data, the intents and the training data underneath them in order to be able to test that client's bot against the current real world example. Is that is that what you're saying? Absolutely, that's correct. And to add here, it's not only about testing. This feature is also used by a lot of our clients who are at the beginning where they are defining what is the scope of our bot. So these clients are coming in and saying, well, tell us in the insurance industry or uh, at the moment we have a lot of new healthcare customers. Um, As as we have this global pandemic we all had to go through, um, they are asking us what are typically cases produce 100 intents for us, produce 100 utterances behind every intent. Um, we can do it in every language. Um, and and that's, that's an enormous time saver and a feature that was more or less requested in the last two years from our clients. And so test and training data is, is a huge challenge for them. Interesting. That is really interesting. Uh, that's, yeah. Is there any kind of... I don't suppose there will be because these utterances could, could be generated. I'm just thinking whether there's any kind of like privacy considerations or concerns or any hurdles you might have had to overcome to be able to take data from, I don't know, one company's bot and then use it to inform another's. Like, is there, I don't know, is there any is there any privacy or data sharing thing now? Is it, or does it not matter because it's just strings of text, basically? Um, there are no issues, um, and it will make sense when I explain you where the data is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, this data is coming from um, from our open source community um, and from those who are willing to share the data with us. So we are not right. automatically grabbing the data, but there are a lot who are sharing data with us, and we have 400,000 open source users in the meanwhile, out mm-hmm. of all industries. Um, second point is um, all big NLG and NLP engines and so on, um, share already data yeah, for specific domains. Third thing is open source repos. So we will find, for example, on the NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, a public repos of real client support calls that are recorded, yeah, where, where people said, yes, I'm okay with recording and sharing uh, this stuff here. Um, of course, you cannot take this older recording and, and say it's now training data. Yeah? There's mm-hmm. a lot of magic in between to migrate it in the right format, make it usable, and an audio recording can't be used for a text-based test and so on. So there's a lot of, of magic happening in between. Um, mm-hmm. What is also there is, is that we are integrating with the biggest language models out there, yeah? like GPT-3, for example. Also, this um, is providing data with our, for us, also some paraphrasing services. Um, and, and all these big sources Courses we are taking together, we, we are taking the best out of it that is usable um, for testing and training. And this is what, at the end of the day, our clients see. Mm, interesting. That is really interesting. So, yeah. So, when you come to, so you mentioned three elements there. You've got testing, training, and monitoring. We've spoke about testing as far as the conversational flows are concerned. Uh, you know, the drawbacks of doing that manually, uh, the benefits of doing that in an automated fashion. You mentioned a couple of other uh, elements of testing, though security, GDPR, functional, all that kind of stuff. What is, I mean, we probably don't have time to get into them all, but on the testing side, what do you think is the biggest gap in people's current approach to testing? Or have we covered that with the manual testing? Is there anything else related to testing that you think is people should really know about? Well, the, the, the biggest gap is, and this, this is not only about uh, uh, conversational AI, it's about all products. Um, the biggest gap I see is within our clients is knowing the needs and requirements of your end users. Yeah? So uh, uh, actually, I sometimes have to educate here our clients in trainings what their end users are expecting from bots. And, and um, having this, this enormous community, we know what they expect. Yeah? It's pretty easy. Number one is accuracy. People um, want accurate answers from the bots delivered quickly. And to be able to do this, you need to do this testing we talked about already. Uh, conversation flow testing, test your conversation designs, permanently testing the natural language understanding, being doing all the NLP score testing, training data, 
analytics and so on. Um, then the number two on this list is having a great user experience. Um, so end users expect a great user experience um, on all channels. They don't care if it's easier for you to, uh, to run and maintain your bot on your website that is fully in your hand. If you have your bot also deployed on WhatsApp, um, we all know it's not so easy because WhatsApp is in between and they are um, having their hand on it. Yeah? Um, a user doesn't care. He wants to have the same seamless experience. Yeah? And, and they also don't care if it's text or voice. Um, so UX is a big thing here. Um, number three is self-explaining in, in, in this service we do here. It's always security, data privacy, GDPR. So um, as, as most of the bots out there are in, in addition to a voice interface also implementing some web or mobile interface, well, all testing standards we have are, are relevant. Yeah? Take the over top 10 vulnerabilities and so on for web. If, if a bot is on a web widget, it, it should be compliant with those. Yeah? Um, GDPR is another thing that, uh, yeah, I mean, we know how high the fines are, but in, in eight out of 10 bots, if I ask a simple question, like, do you save my data? Um, I get a sorry, I don't understand. Yeah, I get a default fallback intent. So, so this is scary and uh, companies don't have it on the roadmap at the moment. Um, and last one, number four, there is performance. So also this, uh, you shouldn't underestimate um, how does your bot behave if there are 100, 500, 1,000, 10,000, 50,000 users in parallel talking to it? Yeah? Um, and actually, Botium does it in this case. And 50,000 users in parallel means really that every second the bot will get 50,000 requests, meaning questions, from a user out there. And that's that's actually a super huge load because you know that we we cannot... So 50,000 users in production won't produce 50,000 requests every second because it takes some time till you type or you say something and so on. Yeah? So 50,000 requests a second uh, coming into your bot means way much more users in parallel. And, and these are huge bots. Yeah? But it's important to know how, how does the NLP engine behave in the background, what's happening on the server where our bot is running, what is our limit? Yeah? So, so we have load and stress testing, for example, and in stress testing, we can tell our client where is the limit. We start with, with a low amount of users, maybe just 10 in parallel, yeah? and then increase it, increase it, increase it, increase it. And at some point, it will fail, and we will say, well, your bot can handle 12,314 users parallel. So when you see in production and you're monitoring, um, you are getting close to that, you have to do something. Yeah? You have to put more computing power there. You maybe have to invest into a bigger plan um, with your NLP engine, whatever. Interesting. That's something I never quite thought about, to be honest, is the, the the computing side of it and handling that amount of scale and being kind of like maxed out. So so the, what you're saying there is basically the bot, Botium platform will run that testing, that stress testing, and yes. simulate the the demand on the servers, yeah? Yes, yes, it will. And um, I'm coming back to what I've said before. We are taking away here complexity from users. Um Everyone who, every engineers, and I think also every non-techy person uh, can can think about um, creating your fifty thousand users talking to your bot in every second. It's not that easy. Yeah, that's that's actually super complex. Um, but for the user of Botium, it means you have three sliders to move. Yeah, number one is number of parallel users. You move it from ten to thousand, fifty thousand, wherever you stop. <laughs> Slider number two is how long should your tests run? One minute, ten minutes. 24 hours, wherever you move it. And number three is your exit criteria. Yeah? You define there something like, oh, if our bot uh, cannot answer at least 80% of the incoming requests, we consider it already as overloaded and we stop the testing. Yeah? That's just there. If, if someone schedules now a 24-hour test and after 10 minutes, the bot doesn't give you any answers anymore, we don't need to run 24 hours. Yeah? So mm -hmm. these are three sliders. And then you hit the Go Botium Go button. And, and the magic is happening, yeah? the tests run, and you get a nice report. And you will see um, what an end user will see in this report. Yeah? You will see um, which waiting times, which delays did the end users face, yeah? how, how much load was there on the bot, how stressed um, was it. And, and um, yeah, I'm always saying my grandma can do that, and she's, <laughs> she's pure non-tech, yeah? but she can move these free sliders. Nice. That is wicked. That is so good. Um, so what about training then? So obviously a big part of uh, of building assistance is giving it enough 
of the right type of training data to be able to, well, first of all, figure out what it is that it needs to do, what kind of intents are needed, what kind of entities and all that kind of stuff are required. And then what kind of training data is needed to support each intent or, or each entity so that you have a higher chance of actually understanding people. And lots of companies do that in lots of different ways, don't they? So a lot are based on assumptions, as we've kind of covered already. This is what we think people say, bang, bang, bang. Some is based on data. Some is based on manual extraction of data, reviewing chat scripts and listening to call logs or transcribing call logs and manually having a look. And I think the risk there is cherry picking. Oh, this sounds good. I like the sound of that one. That sounds good, you know, rather than actually getting to the crux of it. <clears throat> and the other is actually just ingesting actual live transcripts, live calls, whatever it might be, and, and using that as a kind of starting point. What are some of the issues that you've observed kind of over and above? And maybe he's getting into some of this stuff in a bit more detail. Some of the issues you've observed when it comes to training bots and what is it that Botium helps with in that regard? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I always sum this up as uh, the first thing is having not clean training data. Yeah? So when, when we run these first tests, we will see um, a lot of utterances being used out uh, through through multiple intents. Yeah, we we see um, a, a, a too big utterance radius uh, around an intent. Yeah, we see um, all these KPIs of one scores precision recall. Yeah, um, you have to imagine Botium is generating here in-depth insights, running all this dynamic um, and static analytics, and um, we are highlighting this for our clients. And um, I'm usually when when I'm starting with them. Um, uh, pointing them to our confusion matrix because there you have an overview of all your intents, all your training data, um, and it will highlight you, well, here are three utterances that are not behaving like they should. Yeah? You click on them, you get the details, even the similarity visualization um, of your custom NLP model and all the data inside. And, and usually um, the, the data science people and analysts are... Are, are, are what's the right word here? A super, let's say super happy with this. Yeah, they, <laughs> they are getting amazed. <laughs> let's call it like that. Um, and Botium will point out, well, here at this point in your training data, you have to do something. Um, we will generate suggestions like um, merge those two intents, for example. Yeah? They might be duplicate, yeah? for example. Or we might tell you, well, here the number of utterances or entities or something is pretty low in your training data. And you can push one button and Botium will paraphrase for you new utterances. And, and the cool thing is, um, you can even sync this data directly back um, to your NLP engine. So Botium has here a direct sync. We're fetching the data and we can also push it back. Um, yeah, these this are the, the most common things we see when, when we connect there to the first time. Yeah? Um, the next challenge is then, well, apart from our happy paths, what is else there? Um, as being said, therefore, we have this uh, AI-assisted um, training data generation. Um, text, then the next challenge is, well, in monitoring and production, we see a lot of requests that we cannot handle. So can we fetch them? Can we add them automatically to our training data and so on? Yeah, so these are the challenges. And apart from that, in general, um, Botium doesn't care if, if the bot is in training mode or in testing mode. Yeah? So if, if you turn the training mode on on your bot, you can use Botium to train it in, into a various direction. Yeah? So um, you can do managed training with it, which is actually also important because with we, we all know these, these bots out there that are learning permanently. So who are always in, in, in training mode, I always have to think about Microsoft's tie that mm. got racist, <laughs> sexist, and so on after two days, I think, and they had to take it offline. And, and uh, it's, again, not about complaining about Microsoft. It's just to see they are still, I think, one of the biggest uh, software developing companies on the world. Um, they have great products, but also for them, it's a challenge. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that kind of whole unsupervised learning thing is definitely a challenge. And you can kind of, you can almost see that creeping through some of these large language models as well. I know you mentioned that, you know, you've utilized those things for, for your kind of AI assistant side mm -hmm. of things. But it's like with such a large language model, so many parameters, how do you kind of, you know, how do you control it sort of thing? It gets very difficult. Yeah, it is. It is a challenge. Um, and actually what we are doing here is 
we are creating suggestions for our clients. Yeah? So, uh, of course, we are not forcing them. We are also not overwriting training data. Um, and we are also, for example, when, when we are generating with, with this AI assist to generate the data, um, in the next step, the clients can say, well, I want to have ABCD and I don't want to have this one. Yeah? And they can, or they can immediately label it by saying, well, um, this is not a new intent for us, but the utterances generated here should go into this existing intent and so on. Yeah? So mm. um, we generate all these things, we give it to our clients. Um, and at the end of the day, they have to decide on their own. Yeah? And, and especially when it comes to training data, I mentioned before, um, we are making everything so easy um, to use. But it is. My grandma can run these NLP tests still, but uh, she's the wrong one to do relabeling of data or something. Yeah? So um, this is then the part where really the, the guys who are maintaining the training data should come in um, and have a look and make these decisions. Yeah? Mm. Um, yeah. What's what's your thoughts on like the origin of training data? So we had we had um, Benoit Alvarez from QBox on the podcast, fairly, fairly, not that recently, but a few months back, and his kind of thoughts was that actual live transcript data is kind of less useful because if someone says something like "I went on holiday and I lost my credit card," then only the bit of the only the part of the utterance that says I lost my credit card is really effective, and therefore, according to Benoit, it's better to just have that I lost my credit card in the training data rather than the whole utterance. Um, well, then we had Alan Nickel from Raza on the show, and his thoughts was actually the opposite, which is that everything actually should be based on what customers are saying, and you don't get to choose what customers say. You just have to deal with it. And therefore you should put like, the whole transcript into your model. Where do you stand with that? And also on the generation of utterances, like if you're using a large language model, you could generate likely a thousand utterances that are just sample utterances that may or may not bear resemblance to how people actually speak. Where do you stand on that? Like the three elements of one, essentially what I would call like fabricated training data from like a large language model, cherry picking the relevant bits out of a real live transcript versus using the whole transcript. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Alan's opinion here from Raza. Um, actually, I have to tell you that Ben is also not wrong. Yeah? So uh, I somehow have to go with both of them um, because we sometimes see uh, either this or that working better. And there is really a connection to the NLP engine or what, what, what billing platform you're using. Yeah? Some are handling this better and some are handling that better. Um, so therefore, uh, it's hard for me to say it's A or B, um, but what I can tell you is that um, Botchum can do technology benchmark testing. And that's actually um, what a lot of our clients do. So especially those who are smart enough to think about testing at the beginning of the project and not after failing in production. Um, usually at the beginning as an architect, uh, you have a big question mark. Yeah? You, you need to implement a bot and then there's Watson and Dialogflow and there's Raza, a super good open source solution um, that would produce no cost. Yeah? And, and, and then there's direct line and, and there is so many technologies and you have to make a decision. So based on what? Um, and what we are doing here is um, we take a bit of the data of our client. Um, can be a handful of intents with some utterances. And we train bots on their desired platforms with it. Yeah? So we train a Watson bot with this training data. We train one um, on Dialogflow. We train the same bot on Rasa with exactly the same training data. This is the precondition. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair, of course. Mm. And then Botim can run the same tests against those three and compare the results. So we will tell our clients for your domain, for your training data, um, this will be the right technology for you to go for. Um, and there your question also comes in a bit. Yeah? So either with this or that, um, we can try it out. We can try it out for Watson um, using the full transcript, using just smaller parts of it, and we will see what works better for your domain. Very interesting. That, for me, seems to be like the first thing people should do. It's like... so. My, from my experience and also through observation as well is that a company gets an idea for 
a chatbot, voice assistant, call it what you want. Uh, definitely there is a huge kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a culture, but there is definitely amongst, I would say, the more immature organizations that are slightly less developed, there is a rush to a platform, which is we need to do this, we need to get a platform, either we use Dialogflow, we get a third-party kind of platform, whatever it is. Then we'll decide a use case, you know, so it'll be like credit card, reporting a credit card missing or whatever it might be we'll try to decide the use case ideally you based on data in terms of customer volume but sometimes it's based on where the opportunity they think it is kind of thing and then it's like let's build and design a conversation and then let's cherry pick parts of that conversation to, to wrap intents around and then let's put training data into those intents and then let's put it live whereas what you're kind of suggesting is forget all of that almost first of all start with what data you've got or what data you can generate use that to inform your use cases and your intents then generate the training data for those intents regardless of how the conversational architecture works then rather than first of all going for a platform instead testing the various different nlu systems based on the training data that you've identified and then arrive at a platform so it's almost like you're you're kind of 50% way through the design of your bot before you select your platform? Absolutely. Cannot agree more. And I just want to add my experience, how clients uh, told us they were selecting um, platforms, yeah, NLP engines and NLU engines. And and I was shocked. Yeah. So there, are, there is stuff like our entire IT infrastructure in our company with branches around the world um, is in Azure. We are a Microsoft company. Therefore, we have to try it with Lewis and DirectLine. Yeah? So without knowing where, where the superpower of Lewis and DirectLine is. Yeah? Or I heard something like um, from, from a head of IT there, well, Google is the biggest company on the world. So I have chosen Dialogflow because if the project fails, I can still say, hey, I've chosen the biggest company. What, what, what did I do wrong? And, <laughs> Don't get me wrong, Dialogflow is a great technology, Microsoft, and, and all those, but there are domains where you would be super surprised how one is outperforming the other. Yeah? And I cannot even say um, to our clients, because this is also a standard question, hey guys, we saw on your website you were running this year already 110 million tests. Tell us, we are in telecommunication. Is there what's in the best? I can say... Well, we have clients where this benchmark testing showed in telecommunication that Watson is the best. But we have also clients in telecommunication that were using completely different training data going into, into another approach um, where we saw, well, another technology was way much better. Huh? So um, the real answer is take what you have and what you want to build and let's try it out. And, and then you have a reason to decide for something yeah? because we all know um, after one and a half years uh, developing and, and spending seven digits numbers on the project, um, it will be very hard when you see then in, in Botium, oh, uh, because you did accidentally one of these benchmark tests, we should have gone for something different. Yeah? So changing at this point will um, is a vision of hell, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. That is that is a that is probably one of the best kind of methodologies that I've come across because it's starting with what matters, which is the data from users, ideally. And then you're making all of your, every choice stems from that rather than it being corporately generated. I mean, the, the old saying of nobody ever got fired for using Microsoft is definitely true. Yes. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons, I mean, I remember writing about this probably two years ago, which was looking at Google's CCAI strategy and their go-to-market. And it was all about getting partnerships with the, all of the contact center providers. And my kind of thought at the time was what that's what the reason why that's really smart is because they're going to become the default or it's going to become the default solution. Cause if you're using Genesis, you may as well use Dialogflow because it's the integration to that's built in. If you're using Avaya, you may as well use Dialogflow because the integration's built in. And if you actually look, and I'm, I'm talking only a sample of companies that I've spoken to, which is nowhere near as many as using Botium, but it seems to kind of be playing out. I would probably say that Dialogflow, certainly in the UK, is one of the leading providers of this technology. And it's all been driven because they've either got an integration with a contact center or because Google's perceived as one of the best AI companies out there, which is mad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I, I can only agree at this point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I know. Yeah, I know you would agree. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, this half of this is me just confirming thoughts in my own head and thinking out loud here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, there, there, there are so many considerations around this decision. And therefore, it's so weird when I hear, well, we are on, on, on Azure in our cloud and it has to be Microsoft. And again, not saying that Microsoft is bad, could be the best solution for your use case. Um, but there are so many considerations, like there's a Genesis, there's a ticketing system. Yeah, There are other third-party tools. Um, multi-language, yeah? there are NLP and LU engines that work out great in English. And then you add French, Italian, German. And at this point, our benchmark testing would say, well, with these languages, you should choose to the other one here. That is just 2% worse in, in, in English, but on the other side, 60% better in the other languages. Yeah? Mm. Or, or also, which, which front end will this NLP and LU power? Yeah? This, this all makes a difference to what is it connected and so on. Mm. Um, and the thing is, the, the initial investment here is a pretty small one in terms of time. Training a few bots, collecting this this information. Where do you want to go to? Of course, you need someone who, who points you to these things. Yeah, you need someone to tell you. Well, um, it makes a difference if your bot speaks now many languages, if it's voice enabled, text enabled, and so on. Um, but having this collected, running these tests, this is done in one, two, three days. And then you have data in your hand, yeah? And, and you can talk to your team, to your management and say, these are the pros of this technology, these are the pros of that. Um, and then you can make a serious decision. Mm, very good, very good. Um, what about the final component of monitoring then? What are some of the kind of key activities that need to be undertaken when it comes to monitoring the performance of your assistant mm -hmm. and maybe some of the challenges that exist there? Yeah, um, so monitoring actually has the, the biggest stuff on our roadmap. So we are working here um, on a lot of things to come. Um, right now, we are doing it to, to inform you that your bot will fail before it fails in production. Yeah? So we are constantly uh, monitoring confidences, all the KPIs of your training data, and we are telling you, well, um, the confidences are going down. Um, in the upcoming few days, your bot will struggle here to give the right answers. Yeah? So you can proactively act there. Um, and the solutions can be different things, as we know. Yeah? It can be adding training data, whatever. Yeah? Um, this is what's there right now. And, and um, this would avoid, we, we uh, shortly had a very big airline that changed the ticket booking. Um, from uh, everything, it was only possible to buy tickets anymore through their conversational AI, which from a business perspective made sense with all the channels they deployed it. Um, but the thing was the bot didn't understand I want to book a flight. It just could not. And don't get it wrong, the, the developers were not so dumb to not try this. Um, for 100% sure, um, when they put it into production, it was working. Uh, I'm very sure. But then, as being said before, there are slight changes somewhere on the training data. Someone did something, and it didn't work out anymore. And what happened there is they realized after three days um, that this is happening because someone said, we're usually selling more than 10,000 tickets a day. Um, for three days, we sold zero. Something is wrong here. Wow. Um, oh, my and, God. And, uh, so they're monitoring. So it's not only about monitoring training data. We are also monitoring the, let's call the top 10 intents you have. Yeah? So those conversations we would permanently check. And, and um, usually in, in most of the domains where our clients are in, um, the top five intents make 80% of the incoming requests. Yeah? So in, in telecom, it's, we see three intents that make worldwide 80% of the incoming requests. So how can I quit my contract? Is a new iPhone in the store available? And do I have 5G at my home? And, and uh, so those we are also permanently testing and monitoring. And last sentence to this airline um, was pretty easy for them to say after three days, well, this is the revenue lost because they know how much tickets they are selling. Um, but what is pretty hard for them to, to realize and to work with is the reputation lost. Because mm -hmm. what happened is you had dozens of shit storms around and people were pushing it into a direction of they don't take care about the quality of the bot. 
Do they take mm-hmm. care about the quality of the airplanes? Mm-hmm. Do they maintain this Airbus and this Boeing? Um, are they training their, their, their uh, pilots and so on? Of course, it's a big step from the chatbot to that. Yeah? But this is what's happening out there in society. And, and they really learned how important it is to test. Um, and that's connected to another topic. Um, where we're <laughs> so we have these two sorts of clients. Yeah? Those who are at the beginning of the project and know, well, chatbots are software and software needs to be tested. So we search for some test automation here, and then they usually end up with us. These are the guys doing at the beginning um, these this benchmark tests and, and having testing from the first day um, in their pipelines. Um, versus the other option is the airline. They do something, they test a bit manually, um, they throw it into production, and they fail miserably. Uh, <laughs> and then they come to us. So, uh, um, yeah, what I still owe you is, I said before, in monitoring, there's a lot of more stuff to come. This is what we are working on. Um, so right now, we are informing clients, you have a problem here, um, or you will have one in the upcoming days, according to, to the analytics, um, please act. Um, what we are working on in parallel uh, is um, that we are already auto-solving these problems. Yeah? So for a lot of problems we find, we have identified ways of solving this automatically. Yeah? As being said, by merging intents, by adding more utterances, by taking requests from production that were coming from clients that totally make sense to add to it, stuff like that. Yeah? Mm. Um, and many other ways we all know there are so many options um, how um, an NLP and NLU can fail. Um, and what we are doing is we are auto-generating these solutions. So in future, what our clients will see more or less in an infinite, infinite loop is, hey, here was a problem detected by Botium. Um, they generated the solution and fixed it. Uh, so more or less, you will be just notified. And, and we're talking about this wet dream of engineer self-healing software. Um, wow. To set the expectations right, this can never work in 100% of all cases because there are so many cases how conversational AI could, AI could fail. But we see a lot of stuff we can immediately fix. Um, also, in, in, in the first version, we won't overwrite the data immediately. We will ask our client. We will tell them we have identified this problem on the left side. On the right side, here is the solution. Do you agree? Then push the button and, and, and uh, resolve it. So this is the first step. But of course, long-term, the plan is identify the problem in production. Um, in best case, before it really arises, before clients see it, fix it. And, and our end user of Botium just sees, well, we had problems there. They were fixed. Mm, that's ideal. That's really good. It almost then becomes more like an insurance policy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's there because it can fix something that goes wrong and it's kind of like without it, you're in trouble kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, testing is also always about um, confidence and having a good feeling. As a, as a product owner, um, I'm, I'm, and at Fortium, I am also product owner uh, of our product. Um, I want to f- have a good feeling that all our clients out there can use our products and there are no problems. And, and, and monitoring gives me this good feeling. I know that none of our client instances is down. I know it in every second yeah? <laughs> because we have monitoring in place. And, and this is what Botium does for bots. And, and Botium also tells you um, all the intents that are important for us out there, our bot can handle because we are testing this in monitoring. Mm, very so good, very good. It's it's all about feelings. Testing. Nice, nice. So so the last kind of question I had, I think we've kind of covered it in a roundabout way, but maybe it's worth kind of summarizing it, which is around this whole concept of kind of like team maturity. You mentioned there that, you know, software companies or, or organizations that are already, you know, really kind of skilled in software management and stuff like that will automatically default to how we're going to test this stuff before they even build it. Uh, there's a question there about having the right people in the team in the first place, and which, which is a different issue. Um, but you've got kind of different levels. So we've got, we've mentioned the companies that just kind of like rush to a platform, buy something, build something, don't think about quality assurance and then go live and fail. We've kind of mentioned some in between, I think, which a lot of organizations are at, which is that they go live with their assumptions, maybe with some training data built in, you know, from transcripts and whatever, if you're lucky, but perhaps not. Then when they go live, they then like, you know, ducks paddling underwater, start fixing things and adding real trading data and, and trying to, you know, build out what's actually happening. 
And then you've got, you know, the full kind of end-to-end, as you've explained there, beginning with data, you know, informed by transcripts, building out models, testing it, rolling it out, monitoring it. How how is that roughly speaking how you would describe the different sort of areas of, of maturity from, from a team's perspective? Or have you got any other observations on, like, what the difference is between an immature team versus a fully mature team as far as quality assurance is concerned? Yeah, so... Actually, we see this, and, and you covered it uh, very good already. Yeah? In an immature team, um, you are already missing the right roles. Um, so as, a, as an enterprise company, building a bot without a data scientist, someone um, who is skilled in analytics, um, someone who knows about linguistics, um, this, this can only fail. Yeah? You can have the best back-end front-end developers or full-stack developers um, telling them just, guys, our, our marketing wants to have a bot now, so uh, watch some YouTube tutorials. And, and I mean, it's super easy to build a bot. Yeah? So a platform like Google Dialogflow, in 10 minutes, you can build a bot. Yeah? It's just test-based, a few intents, a few utterances, and, and the stuff is there, but it, it won't work properly out there in production. Yeah? And, and um, this, this, this is this kind of immaturity we see, yeah? or, or these decisions being made by, yeah, that's the biggest company of the world, let's take the technology, or, or not knowing what your clients need, yeah? um, not, not doing your homework. I'm always saying, know your channels first, know what is incoming from your call center, know what your marketing wants to transport, yeah? know all these things. Yeah? And, and then we can talk uh, about the next steps. Yeah? Mm. This, this is this kind of immaturity we see. Um, the, the, the next thing is not asking for help. It's being said, um, of course, we all had to start somewhere at some point, um, but with throwing now your QA team that was testing, I don't know, if you are a bank, your, your website and your mobile app, and throwing them now into testing conversational AI, without any education, training, and the right tooling, most of all, um, this will fail. Yeah? So, so we see bots of big companies where the QA guys are telling us, we have never heard about training data. Yeah? We, we are opening here the web widget, and we are talking a bit to the bot. And when we think it gives good answers, we say, yes, deploy it. And, and um, that's, that's something you have to avoid. A major company here has um, what I call is a solid test plan. Mm. Or conversationally, and, and there it's getting tricky again because um, for for these old-fashioned technologies, everyone knows what a solid test plan is. Now, if, if I stay with this uh, uh, online banking of, of a financial company, everyone knows there's a front test, front end. We need to do some web tests in various browsers, and it might be feeded by services APIs in the background. So we might do a component test on an API, and we might have to do some performance tests for many users in parallel. And as it's web security and people say well this is our test concept our test plan um, you would not imagine how many clients are asking me what makes a solid test concept or test plan for, for a bot uh, you, you don't find there a lot of literature out there uh, because it's mm. something new and it's very challenging um, and the answer is you have to take all this functional non-functional testing you have to test your conversation design the flows um, it makes a big difference if your bot brings you to the answer in, in, in 15 steps or in three steps. Yeah? So conversation mm-hmm. flow is, 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 is a big thing for user experience again. Yeah? And, and you have to test end-to-end performance, security, GDPR. And, of course, the training data is so important. And you have to combine all of those. Yeah? You trigger them with every change you do. You run all these tests. Um, and with all these quality gates, you will end up with, with an awesome bot implementation. Yeah? And, and, and that is what makes a solid test concept um, for conversational AI. And again, you need the tooling for this. Yeah? All these things, you, you can only automate them. Yeah? There's, there's so much stuff to do. You cannot do this manually. Um, I'm not the guy who says automation will replace manual testing. Um, I'm completely on the opposite side because um, there will be always stuff where humans are way much better um, to test it, yeah. Sometimes you have you have to. Sometimes I have to take a phone into my hand um, to experience a bot in a mobile app. Yeah, I, mm. I cannot automate this. This is about look and feel and stuff. Um, we can do a visual comparison in end-to-end testing. Does the button have the right hex color code and is it pixel-wise on the right place? Yeah, but uh, a human being can do different stuff here. But um, the majority of testing has to be automated. There is there is no other way in, in, in this complex technology field. 
Mm, fantastic. I do the same thing with with testing. Uh, if I'm testing a voice bot, I will. I'll sometimes go for a walk in headphones. And what's amazing is that you actually have different things that come into your mind that you want to say when you're in different environments. It really does change the way you use the bot. I also, when I'm testing as well, I'll if it's a voice assistant again, I'll always close my eyes. The first few times I ever test anything, I'll always close my eyes. And there's just something about really keying into the conversation and really listening to it without mm-hmm. any visual distraction that can really kind of draw out some of the kind of nuances in the dialogue and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely the manual testing from the experiential side, you absolutely need. But I think that everything we've covered today on the automation side, I think that has been really, really valuable. It's it's like there's so many gaps out there that I think a lot of organizations have that even just listening to this conversation would help them absolutely immensely. So I really appreciate your time, Christoph. Thank you very much. I, it was a big pleasure for me. Thank you for inviting me. Cool. And if you want to check out everything we've been talking about, go to botium.ai, www.botium.ai. Uh, and if you want to know a little bit more about Ciara, the, the company that recently acquired uh, Christoph's company, Botium, uh, that's C-Y-A-R-A.com. Uh, and there's a bunch of, uh, bunch of resources and all that kind of stuff on there as well. Uh, anything else, Christoph? Any other links or places that you would send people to find out more? Well, you did perfect marketing for me. I can just I say. Know. The, invoice, <laughs> the invoice is in the post. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you so much, Christoph. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, the next one will be, uh, I'll build, I always do this at the end. I, I forget to get the next one lined up. The next one is going to be Aflorithmic, and it's going to be on Tuesday. That's going to be followed by another appearance on the VBX World Podcast from Frank Schneider from Speakeasy on Wednesday. So I look forward to seeing you then. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cool. Bye now.